The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire, which spells inspire2022.org. Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football. It's actually coming back, folks. Yes, USC football, a little over a month away. We'll be back, seven-game season. We're going to talk about that with the coach, Harvey Hyde. We haven't had him on the show for a couple of weeks. I've been traveling, so we haven't been able to hook up, and we want to get his thoughts on all of that. If you have any questions or comments for the show, for us or Keeley Show or any of the other shows we do, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you could call or text us. The number is 424-254-9141. We got a voicemail to play for you today. Got a few email questions we want to get to, but really just kind of, kind of talk about the news. It's been a long, slow off season, and it's been going on and on and on, and now we actually have a season to look forward to. So we'll be talking a little bit more actual football stuff uh, going forward. We saw the SEC kickoff this past weekend. We've seen the other conferences been playing for a couple of weeks. We still got to wait a little while for the Pac-12. Uh, the Big Ten will be coming up in a few weeks as well. But uh, really excited that actual college football is going to be happening on the West Coast. And I know the coach is excited about that. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com. Coach, how are you today? Ryan, buddy. It's great to be back. We had a couple of postponed games here. We uh, weren't broadcasting. You were getting a little R&R which you certainly deserve before we get into the season, and uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to see all the Power Five conferences now playing the Mountain West Conference, the Mid-American Conference. It's good to see a good college football weekend. I've, I've enjoyed every minute of all the college football I've watched. So it's exciting to talk about the Trojans and the Pac-12, because we almost have things definite as far as uh, everything but the schedule, and that's something we look forward to seeing. We do look forward to seeing that. And uh, there was, I guess, a little pac 12 flavor, right? When you have uh, Mississippi State and uh, Mike Leach with KJ Costello at quarterback playing uh, uh, LSU and Ed Orgeron, the head coach there. A big, big win for uh, for Leach's first game there. Uh, did you get? Did you catch much of that one? Oh, I caught it. It was SC versus uh, Washington State the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> big upset, and it would have been a big upset if Washington State beat SC. I enjoyed it. A lot. Uh, felt bad for Ed, of course, uh, because uh, you know he had he coming off a national champion and 
He looked, I, I was thinking about what he was thinking about. What are you thinking about? What are you going to tell people? You know, here you are coming off of a 16-game winning streak and all of the rest of things. Uh, I've been through that. I know his mind. And, of course, I know the excitement of Mike Leach. If you ever watch, want to watch a guy coach a game that seems out of it, but in it, watch Mike Leach. He doesn't watch anything as far as what the defense is doing. He barely talks to the officials, never talks to the quarterback, never talks to anybody. It just he's in his own world, but yet his own world really works. And I'll tell you what a great win that was for Mississippi State. It really was. As a big win, and uh, man, just seeing now that the SEC is in the in the fold again, it seems real, right? Like I, I mean, it was sort of college football-y before this, but now it does feel just more like okay, college football's back. It does to me. I'll tell you what, I've uh, you know talked to a couple of the Southeastern Conference coaches. They're all excited about playing. And, and uh, you know, of course, uh, everybody is wondering, uh, will the Pac-12 or will the Big 8, and uh, can they get into one of the playoff games since one of the playoff games will be in Pasadena in the Rose Bowl? That's a definite. Could a Pac-12 team get in that? I think they could, but they're going to have to dominate the Pac-12 completely. I mean, blow out people with a, only a seven-game schedule, plus they're going to have to get a lot of help in the big 12 people beating each other, which they're doing right now as far as Oklahoma getting beat, Texas almost getting beat, and then Texas and Oklahoma still having to play. They could eliminate themselves as far as putting someone into the playoff type of bid. And then this Southeastern Conference, you know, they got to play each other, so you might have a two-loss uh, team making the playoffs. And then the ACC, Notre Dame and Clemson are playing. North Carolina, I don't think, will challenge uh, for a championship. Uh, Miami is certainly on a roll. So, you know, those people have got to beat each other. And if a team dominates, I mean dominates in the Pac-12, then I think they will take a look at them. Yeah, I think, you know, the Pac-12 needed some upsets. And that's you know, kind of what we'll start going off here if you – uh, we did a, a, a show last week, uh, Thursday night. Uh, Keely and I did one talking about the news, the big news that uh, the Pac-12 was coming back on November 7th. Uh, they also did a Family Feud podcast. So we're not going to you know, rehash all of that stuff. But you know, knowing that the Pac-12 is coming back, and we don't know the schedule yet. Uh, USC will have a seven-game schedule, play the five South teams, and one crossover, and then a, champ, a, play, a chance to play champ, well, not a chance to play, but we'll play championship weekend either as the Pac-12 South champion playing the North champion or, you know, against somebody else. So we'll find out who that crossover game is. Um, you know, I I think the Pac-12, if you want to have a shot at the playoff, you need some upsets to happen. You know, like Oklahoma, teams like that losing, which happened over the weekend. But also you need an undefeated team. I don't think the Pac-12 should have USC and Oregon play each other. You don't want the favorites having to play during this short regular season. You'd rather have them play in the championship game. I'm curious to see what the Pac-12 does for that coach. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Or, or would you rather just see the better games and then see who wins? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, if you're smart, and I sometimes wonder how smart Larry Scott is, if you're smart, you make sure that you give an opportunity for teams to be undefeated. A lot of money. And they say, oh, we may, might not be playing this for money. Oh, really? Okay. Don't think we're that naive. No, you shouldn't even make a statement like that, Okay. Uh, or turn the checks back from television revenue when you get them, okay? Or don't charge for home games or whatever. You're playing it and it makes a difference. So if you're going to play, you got to put a schedule together where you have two undefeated teams. You make sure you have two undefeated teams 
playing for the Pac-12 championship game on a Friday night as far as the way it's scheduled right now with the nation will be watching it on the 18th. You make sure of that, right? And if you don't do that, and if you have SC play at Oregon, then you're absolutely stupid, okay? Because you're eliminating right now your chance of having a football season like that. You want to you want to make sure that the championship game, if USC, I'm using the term, if USC can go undefeated, and if Oregon can go undefeated, and then put on a great show in the Pac-12 championship game, then you might have a shot. But if they don't schedule it that way, they're crazy. Yeah, that's uh, it'd be crazy to do it any other way. So hopefully they do, and hopefully they do this smart, and you know, give the Pac-12 a chance, at least something to play for. And yeah, is it likely that a Pac-12 team makes the playoff uh, seven game schedule? No, I don't. I don't think it's all that likely, but. You want to still be able to go, uh, you know, play in a, a New Year's Six Bowl. You still want to be in the conversation. I think John Wilner wrote it's going to be like a really cu- tough couple of weeks um, after the Big Ten starts. And, you know, when the Big Ten starts, the Mountain West will even be starting. I wanted to get your thoughts on that a little bit, too. Um, you know, they'll be starting two weeks before the Pac-12, which they seem to slap that together pretty quickly and come out with a plan. But that. That's going to be a rough two weeks, I think, Coach, when almost everyone else is playing except the Pac-12. I agree with you 100%. And when my point was a minute ago, if you were going to make a playoff game, there's a lot of dollars in that, okay? So I'm talking about you've got to set it up where you get a paycheck, and maybe you have that chance of making uh, one of the playoff spots if everybody else helps you get there. But then again, too, when you talk about the starting time for the Pac-12, I, I really, I really don't understand it. I just don't understand it. The Mountain West Conference is starting at 24th. The Big Ten starting at 24th. Why couldn't just why couldn't the Pac-12 be like everybody else for once? Why can't they start also on the 24th? So it really gives it a big kickoff weekend when they're included in it and so on. You don't need the amount of time they're talking about to get ready to play. You're absolutely crazy. What would I do? I've been a football coach, and I'll tell you right now, you don't need six weeks to get a team ready to play a football game. You just don't. In fact, the players will get bored. You'll bring them to a peak too early. They've been disappointed how many times? Spring practice being canceled, and then having a schedule, and then having that schedule canceled, and then waiting around, and players opting out, and getting, you know, not working out. Now, you can't do that to these kids. They, 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 they get burned out, and their motion period goes up and down, up and down. If you look at a spring practice type of thing, you work out a week, you have a scrimmage on Saturday. You work out a week, you have a scrimmage on Saturday. You work out a week, you have a scrimmage on Saturday. Well, you have four weeks, and then you play a game. Or five weeks, you play a game. You should have it all in. What else do you t- – how much time do you need? I think one thing you need to have as far as getting ready, you've got to have more physical type of practices than you normally do in fall camp because you've lost your timing. These kids have not hit or their conditioning of their body as far as for – taking blows and so on hasn't been since the Iowa game, since the Iowa game, the Holiday Bowl a year ago. So these kids have got to have a physical camp. They've got to do a lot of individual hitting, the offensive line, defensive line. They've got to hit moving targets, pass rush, pass blocking, all of that, and then live on seven on sevens, and especially live tackling. If you watch most of the games so far, the tackling has been very poor. Look at the high-scoring games and so on. So on the defensive side of the football, they've lost a lot of their 
timing as far as tackling a live uh, target. So I think that this this period of time has got to be very physical, but yet six weeks is too long. They should have started like everybody else. They could have gone even the 31st, but they went, decided to go the 6th and 7th. I don't understand that at all. Yeah, no, I, I get it. It's uh, I think there was uh, – John Wilner had a good story about the inaction of the Pac-12, especially after the um, you know September 3rd date where they announced – the daily testing uh, deal, uh, you know, that they could have, that they could do, and really a lot of inaction there. And to me, it just felt like the Pac-12 was feeling comfortable with the later start. And once the tides shifted and everyone else was going to start early, they didn't move fast enough, and they just sort of were just playing the slow game. And now you're left, you know, holding the bag. You just now there's no, there wasn't any chance to get things going early because there's all these health restrictions in California and Oregon that they needed to work through and, you know, finally doing that now and that, you know, you know, opening it up so people can practice again, but it took, it took way too long for that to happen. And that's what I was curious about coach, because the mountain West came out and they're going to start a couple weeks early. They have schools that are in this, uh, you know, in California with, you know, San Jose state and Fresno state and San Diego state. And, you know, they got issues to, to work through with the, the health department there, but, I, I mean, have you heard anything about the Mountain West and how they were able to start so quickly when it's it's still, you know, the Pac-12 is going to be two weeks behind them? No, I haven't heard, but I know they're working out. They're all in helmets. They're working out. So they've been working out two or three days already. Uh, I don't know their official date of when they started, but they're working out and uh, practicing. So they obviously uh, got the go-ahead from somebody. So they're moving forward. They were organized and got it going and of course they care about the safeness of the players as everyone else does i just think that the pac-12 was just a little bit behind time they weren't aggressive enough and then a lot of people say it's because of the letters that were written to uh the governor by the sc players uh, had a lot to do with it and I, I i i'm somewhat ashamed if that's the truth i mean if you have to have players contact the governor when you're paying some guy five million a year not to have a relationship with the governor to make sure that he understands how important it is and didn't know you could practice or didn't know you could do that. I'd be embarrassed to admit that if I was Larry Scott. Yeah, I would be, <laughs> I would be too. That definitely the USC letter to the, the you know, the governor uh, really was a catalyst. All the different reports you were reading, uh, some of the great reporters that would talk about it. They've all pointed that letter as being a really uh, important, a key part part of that. Um, you know, when you call out a politician publicly that, hey, you're the reason we're not playing football, that got action, you know, and I think it was a smart, it was, it was well-written, um, you know, it was edu- you know, just, it was very smart. I think that was something that needed to happen, but you're right. Why are the players leading that kind of charge when you have a $5 million man running your conference and, uh, really didn't do enough. I thought he handled it well early, Coach. But since then, you know, there were you needed to take action. The delaying part, he was very, you know, the, I think everyone was on the same page in the Pac-12. They communicated it well. But once you had to change, he wasn't willing to change. There was a lot of issues with that. And I feel like they needed to be working behind the scenes with the governors and, uh, you know, Governor Brown and Governor Newsom, Oregon and uh, and California and get that ball rolling, and they didn't. So now you're behind the times. You're only going to play a seven-game season. Um, but, you know, at least we're going to have some 
college football. It'd be a lot worse to have none. And uh, I think it's a real opportunity for USC, uh, you know, Clay Helton to kind of show the world uh, what they're able to do. It's not going to be the hardest test because you're only going to be playing seven games. But I know there is an opportunity there, Coach. I mean, what do you think about this for for USC and Clay Helton having this seven-game season? I think it's great. I think it's great for the kids, personally. I think it's great for the off-year training you do and the opportunity of playing your senior year or junior year and the coaches and everything else having a chance to get out there and, and have fun because coaching's a lot of fun and competition is great. I think it's great. I think the kids, and I don't like the two seasons in one format type of thing. I used to tell you uh, the spring football season wasn't going to work anyway. I told you that's like having Christmas if you celebrate Christmas in July. It doesn't work. And I think they've, uh, mostly all the conferences now have beaten that except the, uh, the SEIC conference, uh, Division Three, is going to have a spring football league, which I love and also love that they're going to play on Sundays. They think that they can get a lot of attention on Sunday and play on Sunday. So uh, that way they share the facilities with the other sports. They can have the fields and tracks and so on and play their games on Sunday. So I, I, I think it's great for USC. I really do. And the competition that's out there. I just want to make sure that they stick together as a team and a coaching staff. And they do their very best as far as representing the college and for recruiting and, and make the Pac-12 proud and make the Trojan family proud and win football games and, and be out there and, and, and be who you are and who you're supposed to be. And, you know, the, tro- the Trojan uh, tradition is awesome. And it, you've got to get it back and you've got to do that by dominating this year. And it's not going to be easy to dominate, but really – the Trojans, with all the returning players and what they have and so on, they got an advantage over people, I think, and they ought to take advantage of that and, and coach them up and get going. And I hope the two players that opt out, uh, Tucker and Tavili, decide to come back, and I'd be very disappointed if they don't. They're part of the team, and it's really just part of the regular season they would have been playing anyway. And unite and uh, have fun and win a championship. Yeah, I think that's... There's a lot of opportunities there, even though it's a shorter season, even though you don't have Alabama, Notre Dame, games like that on the schedule. You're going to be the favorite in the Pac-12 South, Coach. There's not no question about that. Um, we'll talk about the opt-outs in a second, but what do you see like as the upside and downside here? I mean, I, I think people are just going to assume that USC is going to win the South when that's all the teams you're really playing except for that one crossover game. It seems like you win the South and, and fans will be like, eh, okay, fine. If you don't win the South, it's going to be, I mean, there's fire and brimstone kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know. It seems like USC might be in a tough spot here because it's great that the players are going to get out and play, but it's like winning the division and, and even the conference might just be assumed by fans. Well, it's because of their uh, their talk as far as uh, uh, promoting their players, as far as the great quarterback, the great running backs, the great defense, returning players, the great coaches, everything they've hired during the offseason to get the momentum going. So you've got everybody uh, somewhat positive, and you've got a lot of returning players. Now, you know, there's always teams out there, and you saw it all week. You've seen Kansas State get beat by Arkansas State and then and then uh, and beat Oklahoma. I mean, anybody can beat anybody. You just can't let that happen. You've got to be ready to play. You can't take someone for granted. Arizona State's always a tough team to play. Utah's always been a tough team to play. They're not going to lay down for Trojans. They're going to play you. Now, Arizona should be a, a win. 
you can count that, but you can't count Arizona State as an automatic win. You can't count count uh, Utah as an automatic win. I think Stanford's going to be down this year. Cal, you should be able to line up and beat Cal. They're not the same type of traditional program as USC. Uh, UCLA, uh, they don't have a lot coming back. If you can't line up and beat people like that, not that the Trojans on a uh, representative team and so on, but who should win? If you were to bet right now on the game, who should win? Who has the most players? Who, who's who got the tradition currently right now? Who's got the most momentum? It's the Trojans. You just got to win and beat the people you're supposed to win. You can't get yourself in a position where you let up and you get upset or you get out coached or you're not ready to play so that we get on your butt the next day about all that stuff. You can't allow that to happen. You got to shut us all up and go out and play football and coach it the way it's supposed to be played and get the right players on the field, and the right things will happen if you've got the right players playing the way they're supposed to be played. So that's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting to see if they're all one, a family, everybody together, going out, kicking butt, enjoying it on the way home from a game. There's nothing like playing a road game and coming home on the plane, knowing that when you get home, man, what happened? People are waiting for you. You can't wait to get up on Sunday read the newspaper, and hear how you kick somebody's butt. There's nothing as great as that. And then you forget it, and you tell them, you take, you take, you have a team meeting, you take that newspaper, and you throw it in a trash can, and you say, what will next week's headline say? And you move on. Yeah. Um, Coach, The uh, we, you mentioned the opt-outs. I want to talk about that. So defensive lineman uh, Jay Tufele and uh, offensive tackle, well, offensive lineman who's going to ch- switch to left tackle, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, both opted out. Vera Tucker seems, um, you know, he was the more recent opt out. And uh, Keaton Slovis said he'd been in contact. Uh, he, they had a press conference, I think it was Friday. And and Slovis talked about, you know, contacting uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, trying to get him to come back. Um, I think on the defensive line spot, you know, Tefeli's probably your best defensive lineman. Um, but, you know, I think you can, I think you can uh, fill in there. Uh, a little easier than what you can on the offensive line because it was already going to be patched together, um, moving Elijah Vera Tucker, you know, probably your best lineman from left guard to left tackle. You know, now you're replacing both tackles. You're replacing a, a key at left guard. Um, you know, you get Andrew Voorhees coming back, which is nice, but it, I mean, to me, that's a, it's a pretty big issue. So if he ends up opting back in, I think that's a huge move uh, for USC and I think it'll help this offense a lot. I think the offense is still going to be fine. Keen Slow has got a ton of receivers and stuff, but not having uh, you know a, a sure offensive line in front of you and recruiting hasn't been as good on the offensive lines we've seen in, in other years. So that's uh, I think that'd be the one big area of concern for me looking at the season, Coach. I don't know what you think. Well, I agree with you there on what you're saying, but I'm telling you, if Wyatt Davis can come back and he's a first-team All-American and first-round pick, and go back to Ohio State and play, why can't Tucker come back and play? Where's his love for USC and the family and the kids that he got recruited with and the goals they've worked for? Why can't he come back? Mostly all the players that have opted out at all the universities have come back. To Philly, the same way. Hey, man, I hear you have to get a waiver as far as if you sign with a, with an agent. Get that waiver. Apply for that waiver. Come back. Announce it that I'm coming back. I mean, why not get the momentum going? Get your teammates fired up. Why should you two guys not play for a group of guys you've worked out with and you're part of all your life? I mean, I understand the future, and I understand the money. But right now, the school's been great to you. They've given you a great education. 
they put you in a position where you can possibly go and become a, a very wealthy man playing in the NFL. But loyalty means a lot, too. And I believe me, I'm going to tell you something. If I was drafting, I would look at Wyatt Davis and I'd look at some of these others that opt back and came back in the loyalty part of an individual and the personality of him and his thinking of of teams and teamwork and so on. It's becoming a big part now of of the NFL. So I would give them advice is come back and play seven games. Are you kidding me? Come back and you better play these seven games, but all of you, you aren't that great. You've got improvement. You get better every day and and uh, also the school. I know Clay Helton's a great guy and he says we wish you the best and all this and we all that. But you know he wants him back. You know he wants him back as far as playing. You know the players want him back. Why should you even have to call him and tell him to come back? They should call and say we're coming back. And that's just me, okay? That's just me. I'm just looking at it as I'll do anything for a player, and I'd I'd hope that player would do anything for us. Yeah. And I I think there's a a decent opportunity for them to come back. And having only seven games – uh, I think that does help you prepare for the NFL draft, especially if he would get some opportunity to play, you know, show what he can do at tackle and, and show some versatility. I think that would definitely help his stock. But, uh, you know, we have Keaton Slovis said he wasn't pushing it, but, um, you know, he's keeping in contact with him. So we'll see if he's able to kind of switch that. Uh, you know, a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown could opt out, but I don't think he's going to at, at this point. Um, so I think it's going to be, Interesting as we see this start to roll up and the practices start and they're getting ready uh, for the season because there is that, you know, that FOMO, that fear of, of missing out, you know, and watching other teams play. I know it, it it's it's tough on these players because they want to be out there playing, too. So I think they're excited to kind of get get things rolling again. Um, you know, it would have been great if they could have started earlier. And that's a lot on the Pac-12. We're just not getting things going but you know some of it's the environment what you know where everything was in it made it harder to to restart but that means just you had to work at it a little bit and uh and then they didn't obviously so we'll see we'll see what happens with these opt-outs but uh either way man i'm excited i'm just excited that we're actually going to have you know some college football coming up soon um as far as you right i don't want to get you to start another topic let me ask you how would you feel if you're either of those guys and you know your team's out there practicing and you go out and watch them, or you're in the weight room lifting when they're in there or you're around campus and you're in a classroom with them or whatever, and you're not part of it, you're not in the huddle, I don't know. I don't know how you could do that. I really don't. Or if you're a player watching them, uh, not, or watching them watch you practice and you're not part of the foxhole that we're all in together, I think it's a very difficult thing for a player to do and a team to accept. That's just me, okay? Yeah. And uh, I don't know how the rest of you feel out there, ladies and gentlemen, but this show is basically just opinions. I'm sure you have your opinions too, people. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's see. Let's. Uh, why don't we take a quick break, Coach? We'll come back and answer some questions. So back in a minute.
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Coach, why don't we go to a voicemail first? I'll play it for you and get your thoughts. Hi, this is Rick, class of 89 from Vista. Uh, you know, I hear a lot about this uh, Bowl Championship Series, and I don't understand why they don't expand it to eight teams. It makes all the sense in the world. And what I would suggest doing is after the teams play their championship game for their conference, the next week, they play that eight-team playoff. And then the four teams that win those, those would go on to the New Year's Day Bowls, and that would allow the four teams that lost to still be in a bowl game. So I think that would be a simple solution. It would be a ton more money. I can't imagine a day, a Saturday after those championship games where you got four games, you know, one versus eight, two versus seven, you know, all the way down. I think that would be a wonderful day. I think everybody would really appreciate that. And think about how much money that would be drawn from that. That way you could add all the championships or, or the the number one team for each of the Power Five conferences, and then you got three round-robin teams you can add to it. I don't think then you're going to have much, uh, many conferences getting upset. I think that would uh, do the job. Anyway, thanks a lot. I'd like to hear what you have to say. Thank you. Bye. Well, um, yeah, uh, I understand exactly what you're saying. You know, they're they're having to make so many adjustments right now as far as being behind on everything they're doing that it's just more work for them to try to set that up as far as for television press time. Or, I mean, the whole thing, it's just it's out of whack this year. It really is. And not only that, uh, all the conferences have contract with bowl games. Like the Las Vegas Bowl, for example, has a contract with the Pac-12. The Holiday Bowl uh, has a contract with the Pac-12. I don't know where they're going to play that bowl this year since San Diego State's going to be coming up to L.A. to play. So uh, I don't know. All these contracts are out there, and they have to fulfill these, but they have volunteers and and so on that work year-round to have these bowl games. I think there's 41 bowl games, and I'm not quite sure they're going to have 41 uh, bowl games, but some of them start early, but I think they're going to try to, and uh, and they even uh, change it or adjust it, that they're going to vote on it, but it's going to pass, I'm going to tell you that right now, that the record this year, and you all have read this, isn't going to count as far as you can go to a bowl game where they have five wins, four wins, three wins, and or two wins, or whatever, because they have to fill 82 uh, teams uh, as far as getting into uh, the bowl games. And can they get that many teams when half the teams aren't playing that many games? 
So that means a team from the Pac-12 could go to a bowl game that's three and three and four, if they but they got to, I think supply six bowl games. So uh, they've got all these bowl games. They've got everything else going on. I know definitely they're having a championship game in the Rose Bowl, and uh, not a championship game, the semifinal football game in the Rose Bowl on January the 1st. They've got that all organized. They've got the television set up. There's just too many adjustments to make at this time. They've been making them continuously. They still haven't, two conferences or three conferences haven't even announced their schedules yet, let alone having a, a bowl change and a playoff change. So, I just think that it's impossible this year to be able to do that, maybe in the future or whatever. But this year, I'd say no way. Yeah. Uh, I I would have liked it just to, like, mix it up a little bit, give you an opportunity, because then it's it's hard to compare the different conferences when they're playing different amounts of games and stuff. But, you know, just to me, it just seemed like a a bit of a missed opportunity. But we'll see what they expand going forward, if it's going to be talked about. It doesn't doesn't seem like that's going to be a topic until – uh, that deal is done, which I think you still got several years, I believe, uh, left on that one. Um, we had a, let's see, we had a question from Paul in Gator Country. He said, uh, exciting news about the Pac-12 being able to play football, and I hope USC will have the opportunity to compete for the championship. If not, it's a shame, a real shame. I have questions on how we got here. How did it take a few tweets from USC players to the governor and a question from a reporter to get the governor of California to say that football isn't prohibited. I know you praise the Pac-12's handling of the situation, but unless I'm missing something, I can't give them too much credit uh, when they didn't understand the guidelines, that, that the guidelines didn't prevent football. Unless the uh, useless, no, I'm sorry, he's meaning unless. Unless the government did an about face over a few tweets or the Pac-12 screwed up. We all want players to be safe, but with the testing and closed environments for the athletes, they should be safer on campus with all the testing. We always quote the science, but the data shows the risk to healthy under 24-year-olds from COVID is zero. Let the players choose. Also, a recent CDC survey showed 25% of 18 to 24-year-olds seriously considered suicide in the last 30 days. Wow, I didn't realize that. So there's an emotional and mental health cost to lockdowns and shutdowns. Um, He said, Shotgun had a comment that he doesn't like politics influencing decisions around this, and he agrees, but... Uh, what do you call a health advisor of Los Angeles when asked about kids being allowed to back to school and say after the elections they should be able to go back to school? What does the elections have to do with health and safety? I would love to know, did Larry Scott ask if the guidelines prohibited football? Why the presidents didn't ask these questions? The way that Larry Scott tweeted his response the next day to the governor's, governor's statement looked like CYA. Bravo to USC, but leadership of Pac-12 was derelict. Uh, fight on, love the show. And very happy for the kids, Paul from Gator Country. Wow. I don't know where to start on that, baby. Uh, first of all, we got to remember Larry Scott works for the presidents, okay, of the Pac-12. And he'll get away or do whatever he can with the presidents, put pressure on him. Uh, why weren't the presidents uh, of the university saying, Larry Scott, let's find out what the deal is? Remember, uh, he's, he's just an employee, of the presidents, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what's happening there, but you, all, I would think there's some responsibility. Uh, the president's been very quiet as far as I'm concerned. I haven't heard anything on the show to anything. I mean, normally she has a comment of some type, but I haven't heard any comments lately regarding the Pac-12 or the schedule or if she's happy they're playing football or not. 
while most of the time she's been at every press conference or the announcements or whatever, so she's demonstrated she loves football, but right now she's not involved in much of a spokesman in what's going on or any of the presidents, except for one or two, the Oregon president, I think the Arizona state president, and a couple have said things that I can't quote because I can't remember exactly what the wording was. But uh, you're exactly right. There should be more of a responsibility uh, and uh, uh, and uh, leadership in that role as far as knowing what exactly what his role is as far as getting not only that done, but You've heard a lot of different things, too, everybody, as far as what he's now suggesting as far as for the Pac-12 network and also for game time starting points as far as getting national exposure. And, Ryan, I don't know if we want to talk about that, but having 9 o'clock kickoffs in the morning, a.m. in the morning, and that's another one of his ideas. Some of the coaches, uh, I think Chip Kelly likes the idea. Uh, maybe he has an afternoon, a lot of things to do. But, you know, I mean, look at the hardship. I mean, what if you had what if you had fans? You can tell me they're going to start tailgating at five in the morning. You can't have fans, uh, so you don't worry about that. But that means pregame meals at five o'clock in the morning. And that also means you better start practicing at five o'clock in the morning. So when your team plays at nine o'clock, they're used to their body change. You've heard me talk about that all the time. As far as your body forms habits. So one week they're going to play at 9 in the morning. The next week they're going to play at 7 at night. I mean, that that to me doesn't do anything for me. The, uh, the national exposure is very important. But you should be able to get national exposure because you got a great football program. And people want to watch you on the regular networks. You know, the Fox and all these different stations have an opportunity of picking you as a prime game. So why don't you give them the product so they can uh, pick you as a prime game and and I'm exactly, I feel like everybody does on the East Coast. Why would you wait up and start to watch a game at 12 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night or not even hit the newspapers in the morning because it's past their time as far as getting scores in the newspaper? How'd the Pac-12 goes? I don't know. I just got one score because they didn't start their game till 6, 7, 8 o'clock at night. So you know, a lot of this off all hinges around what's happening in the conference hour, uh, office, excuse me, and also how, what the college presidents expect from a commissioner that receives $5 million a year. That's where it comes down to. If you get paid $5 million a year, you ought to be doing one hell of a job in everything you do. I'm going to tell you that right now. Yeah. So I don't think that they've got that, and that's my answer for you. You asked me a lot of questions. <laughs> But I don't have all those answers because I can't even remember what the hell you asked me. The yeah, first one. no, and Paul, appreciate the the email. And yeah, no, I was I was praising what the Pac-12 did. They looked like they were the buttoned up conference for a while, while the Big Ten was scrambling and and you know just suing each other and all kinds of crazy stuff. But they got it done. They forced the issue and they made it happen. And the Pac-12 sat on their hands. And that, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, they needed to do more. You have a conference commissioner that makes that much money. They have to do a lot more than that. Um, and I, you know, I do feel like they can do it in a safe way. USC's led the way. They've been they've been great with the the testing and the keeping the, the players safe and and keeping them healthy. And so, yeah, I think there was a path to make this happen. And uh, the Pac-12 just lost a bunch of time. And now they're starting November seventh, which kind of sucks. It's nice to have a season, but it's just kind of late. Um, our friend uh, Sergeant Rodney Strong from Fort Lewis, Washington, wrote in. He said, it's been a while. 
Just woke up from a long hibernation and had the worst nightmare ever. I was told by Clay Helton that we have a bright future and we are so close to being a championship team. And he was blaming it on youth and injuries. And we kept losing against quality teams and barely beating not so good teams. It was horrible. Is Clay Helton still the coach? Anyways, thank you guys for all you do. Fight on Sergeant Rodney Strong. Well, uh, Sarge, let me tell you, everybody has injuries. Okay, Sarge, you know that. Everybody uh, uh, has the same type of problems. And young players, if you've recruited the right players, I think Alabama started on, I don't know how many freshmen this last week or last year on their defensive line and so on. If you coach them up and they can play, uh, and you've done the right position, uh, recruited the right players and put them in the right position. Uh, my player is better than your player. My player is bigger than your player. My player is faster than your player. John McKay said, we, sh- we should win. We should win unless we screw them up. So, you know, if you're talking about all the great players and so on, you've got to back that up. I've always learned as a football coach, you know, we don't have a lot of great players. That's why I'm a great coach. We win because... I outcoach everybody, not that we didn't have great players, okay? So I think sometimes you get yourself in really tr- uh, big trouble flaunting how great your players all are and all this and that. Got Jerry Fouts fired at Notre Dame because he had three or four number one classes in the country and he couldn't have a winning season or maybe he had one or two or whatever. So, you know, I think you got to show or not talk about it. you got to do it on the field, Sarge. Just like when you go to war or battle or whatever, you know, you want guys to want to jump in the foxhole with you and lead it. You don't want a guy up in the hill with binoculars watching it to see what <laughs> might happen. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I just think that uh, that uh, you've got to explain and you've got to be part. That's got to be your staff. You know, you've got to be able to motivate that we should win. We are going to win. We are the best. But don't talk about it. Let's show people. And I, and I think that philosophy has got to be put in there by being tough. you got to be tough. And uh, I'm not quite sure if they're really tough. I only saw one day of spring practice to see what was going on. But I've always said that they've been soft, okay? They've been soft, and I think you got to be tough. And I think the only way you can really be tough, too, is have a running game. So I've never been in favor of pass, pass, pass. I always feel you have to run the football, and I always think that if you don't run the football with a one remaining back, we've talked about this over and over and over, the defense outnumbers you. Because you only got one guy who can run, and that's your running back. The quarterback, you don't emphasize running. And I don't think you can run a one-back offense unless your offense, your quarterback's an outstanding. Look at all of them that run the football. If you don't run the football, then you're not very good. So... uh unless you're athletic and, and all the guys are running the football that are athletic Ellinger all you mean go through them all Justin Fields every one of these guys Trevor Lawrence they're one back set but every one of those guys run the football so uh, I think that's one thing that we'd like to see I'd like to see SC do and I think you become much tougher mentally and physically when you lined up and you pound the line of scrimmage so we'll see what happens with that along with a great passing game I'm not saying don't have a great passing game I'm saying utilize your tight end, utilize your entire 11 guys the proper way. All right, Coach, we got one, uh, well, I guess two last questions. Don wrote in a couple of things. Um, first on recruiting, he wants to know where do you think USC will end up after the signing day and recruiting rankings? Um, real quick, right now it's just hard to say. USC did just pick up uh, 
uh, a commitment. Uh, but right now, number 18 commitments total, number nine um, in the country. And, you know, I think, I think top 10 is probably where USC ends up. This was a, no, this was a big commitment. Philip uh, Riley out of Florida is a, you know, a, a, you know, top two, four, seven uh, cornerback, you know, four-star kid. So uh, that's a nice one. He was committed to Notre Dame and uh, decommitted recently and, and picked up USC. So I think, um, you know, you're seeing USC recruit well in certain areas, you know, having Dante Williams uh, be your lead recruiter is a big help because he's been great. Um, you know, he's been great as far as recruiting goes. And I think USC, now that they're playing, it's a little bit more of a level playing field, but there's so much, it's such a weird year coach because of the, you know, the extended dead period. There's no, you know, there's not going to be any official visits. We don't know any more details about what they're going to do for the early signing period, but uh, all these high school kids aren't even going to be able to visit, you know, where they're, they're committed to. And, and so it's a different recruiting year for sure, but barring some sort of like absolute collapse on the field, I would still think USC is going to be in that like eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 range, probably like way better than the last couple of years. I agree with you. I agree a hundred percent. I think they've got uh, picked up a couple of good recruiters and it definitely shows in their position. But I think also you've got to get some offensive linemen that are equal with some of the recruiting that you're getting done in other positions. I, I just believe that. Uh, I think that uh, you've got to dominate up front. That's where it, uh, that's where it is. And uh, you've got to start attracting those type of players. And I think that that if you you know I don't want to uh, you know be negative on as far as what you do on the offensive line. But if you pass block all the time on the offensive line, how do you learn to run block? And do the other things that are necessary. So you got to become a well-rounded athlete. I think they use that in recruiting against uh, you in a way, as far as USC. I think you've got to become good at both of the things you do to become a great pro. Not that USC hadn't had great pros, uh, but uh, I'm talking about getting some guys that are four and five stars right now in the offensive line, which they can do. But and they're doing it with three stars. But again, if my my guy is bigger and faster than your guy. Who's going to win? That's why they have different levels of competition in every sport, as far as heavyweight champion, middleweight champion, or whatever. And uh, so uh, that's what I think. I, I'd like to see them really improve on the offensive line. I think in all the areas that they, they've, uh, you know, receivers. Where do they want to go? USC. But you know, if you look around the country, and a few people have been watching college football have you seen the great skilled athletes on saturday playing at schools you didn't even know who these kids were they're absolutely fantastic as far as their speed their size the way they go to the football uh, so there are a lot of great athletes out there a lot of great athletes so uh, you've got to be able to get your share i used to say i can't get them all but i just want my share okay but again, you've got to forecast per properly. You've got to get uh, a balanced type of recruiting class. But if you don't have the hogs and if you don't have the guys up front, it's very difficult to win big time. Yeah. We got one last one uh, from Don. He says, regardless of Clay Helton's answers, uh, regardless of the question, Clay Helton's answers are always the same. Do you think he has tunnel vision or do you think he should watch tunnel vision? That's our uh, video show. Yeah, Don, he should watch tunnel vision. He might watch it. Um, I don't know. Do you think Clayton has too many similar answers, Coach? What do you think? 
Well, he's a very positive, good guy. I mean, he doesn't like to say negative things about anybody. I mean, nobody. And uh, that's a that's a great trait to have. But there's times that you have to get upset. There's times that you have to uh, be a father. There's times you have to be a boss with your staff. There's times that you have to show the leadership. You don't yell all the time, but when you do, people listen. And you can't be phony. Folk, uh, phony. But play, people know when you're, oh, look at that. Look at he's trying to act like he's mad. I mean, people know who you are. So you've got to have a personality of who you are that works. You don't have to be a yeller to be a leader. But you've got to be able to have the respect that kindness is in weakness. And you've got to make the right decisions to be able to do what's best for your football program or your company or whatever you're in charge of. And sometimes you have to make decisions that are very difficult. but it's And it's hard to do. But it's best for the program or best for whatever you need to accomplish. And uh, and as far as disciplinarian and so on, he can be that. But it's good to have people around you that can handle a lot of things that you're not really good at. And I've always said, recognize what you do, don't do well and find people that do that really well. Now, all of a sudden, you balance out the areas to make you a great leader and a great person who can be successful. And I think that uh, I hope he's been able to learn that along the route here and do that. He's been very quiet during this period of time. I don't know if it's been him or whatever, but he's more or less been sheltered from the media, uh, either by the athletic director or somebody. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't think that's right either because he's the head football coach and he should be the one doing the talking to the press and expressing his feelings on the schedules and different things that are going on, not always the AD. And I'll tell you, uh, there was something the other day I, I, I heard that the AD addressed the team as far as the practices and what's going to happen and so on, which I think is great. But I address my football team, okay? I'm the head football coach. They're not playing for you. They're playing for me. You tell me what you think they ought to know. You come to the meeting, you sit there right there, and I'll ask you when I'm through talking, Mike, is there anything else you'd like to add that I might have missed? Then you come up and tell them what you think. But I'm not going to sit there when you're talking to my team listening to you. I know you're my boss. But this is my team, okay? And if you don't like me, pay me my $30 million and I'm out of here, okay? Yeah. And, and I really believe that's the things that kids recognize. People recognize that, and you're taking that leadership away from him when you do that. And you don't even know you're doing that. But kids and people recognize that. Like me, just me bringing it up now. I mean, really, uh, uh, I, I feel sorry for him in that area, okay? No, I, I, I agree with you, Coach. Um, it's, it's one of those things where you feel like because Clay Helton wasn't a very popular figure with the fans, he was sort of being sheltered a little bit uh, by them. But, I mean, it's going to be... It's a weird season. Uh, you know, the, the, the hard games aren't on the schedule anymore. We'll, we'll find out who that crossover game is. I think Clayton's in a tough spot. Because like we talked about at the top of the show, the expectations are going to be really high. And outside of just going 7-0, and I don't know if fans are going to be happy. And they probably have a right to not be happy. Uh, this is a team that is going to be the most talented. Um, 
And they, they should win the Pac-12 South. I don't think there's any question about that. We see, we'll see if they will. And we'll see if they're able to, uh, to you know, win the conference if they're able to do that. But it's a tough spot for, for Clay Helton. And I think one way or the other, the Alabama games and the Notre Dame games, Oregon on the road, those would have been great opportunities to either show everyone, hey, man, we are a really good team. We won two, two of those three games or something like that. Or you don't win any of them and it just kind of, re- you know, all the fans are just, um, it, you know, they, they know what they, they believe what they, it's like solidifying what they think about Clay Helton, uh, losing those games against the better teams. But it would at least be an opportunity that you can show improvement and you can show like, hey, this is a really good offense. We changed our whole defensive staff. They're really good. We got talented players. We hung with Alabama. We, you know, beat Notre Dame. We beat Oregon on the road. Things like that, you can say, hey, that's that means something. But those opportunities are gone now. So it, it's tough. Um, but I don't think there can be any excuses. I don't think, you you know, this is a year that just like, yeah, everyone's had to deal with COVID stuff. USC's practiced probably more than than most. Or they've been out there, you know, as much as they could do. They got the most talent. You got to win. And anything short of that, I think uh, fans are going to be rightfully upset. Oh, they they they're always upset when you don't win, and not only at USC anywhere, okay. And uh, I tell you, uh, whether he wins seven games or six games or five games, people, you better buy in and be a part of the program a hundred percent because they aren't going they aren't going to buy him out. That's too much money, okay. So get on the horse and start riding it. And get away from the negative side of it, but it doesn't do any good. And I understand uh, uh, the reasons why Clay's still there, and I think Clay, we should be supportive of him. But and that's why I speak up like I do, as far as give him a chance, let him be a leader. Don't take that away from him. Put him in front of the media. Put him in front of the people, the booster clubs. Put him in front of the the administrators. He's the face of your. USC Trojan football program, and you pay him handsomely to do that. So let the people hear what he has to say. And not only that, his team, let him listen to him and know that you're my players, not his players. And uh, I'm just sort of giving people a lecture, but that's the way it's going to be. And uh, just get used to it. All right, Coach. Well, good uh, good to have you back. Good to uh, talk a little. USC Pac-12 football, excited. We'll count down the weeks to the season actually starting. Um, So really excited for that. But, Coach, thanks again, and uh, we'll hope to talk to you soon. Ryan, thank you, guys. And, again, for all of you out there, thank you for listening. And remember, we're just trying to give you our opinion. I'm sure you have yours, and I respect every bit of your opinions. Yeah. All right, Coach. uh, That's Coach Harvey Hyde. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thank you much for tuning in, and uh, we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.